Hello, my name is Malik Blade and I am the CEO of the Whole Brother Mission. I want to thank you at USAO and the Black Student Alliance for having me today. And I wanted to take this time to speak to you about black mental health in light of Black History Month. Now, I know that when you hear black mental health or when you hear the term mental health in general, you may think about being a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor. And while those are fitting titles for people in the mental health field, you don't have to hold those titles to be well versed in issues related to mental health. In fact, I think it's all the more important for those of us that are not in the field professionally to be aware of a, lot, a variety of things as it relates to mental health, because sometimes there are things that we perceive as cultural norms that may very well may be a sign that something's going on as far as a mental health issue. So it's really important for us to take the time to educate ourselves on these things so that we can see things in other people that may not be noticed as a potential issue. Uh, I want to speak to you about this very seriously because your willingness to educate yourself on certain signs could be the difference maker. It could be the difference between life and death for someone else. Unfortunately, there are too many stories of not just black people, but people generally struggling with mental health issues in silence. And unfortunately, there are many sad stories of people ending their life uh, due to suicide. And in many cases, there are signs people around them may have noticed where things were headed. But just as many cases, there are scenarios where the story is he or she seemed fine. He or she seemed like she was doing well. And everyone was shocked that someone who seemed so OK, that seemed so happy would would do this. So I think it's ultimately upon us to change the stigma around mental health issues, and we can start with what we're doing on today. I think it's very easy to understand some aspects of mental health issues from a cultural perspective, because the misunderstanding is that there are certain things, and I'm speaking about us specifically now, speaking about black culture, there are certain things that we deem black culture that are common. There are practices, things that we do, habits, that are seen as normal. That's just the way it is. And I like to push back on some of those realities today to not say that that isn't true, but to challenge you to consider it further, to consider the reality that some black culture habits may actually be signs of a mental health issue. Some aspects of black culture may actually be a trauma response. And if we're well versed in these things, we could be the one to ask some follow up questions or have someone follow through with a mental health professional to look into something further. Now, I don't want to scare you and get you to a point where you think everything is a mental health issue, but I do think we would do better to put more thought into these things and be willing to investigate if there is a mental health issue present, because the norm, unfortunately, is for us to write everything off as that is how he or she is and not look much deeper into it than that. So that's what I want to focus on today. I have eight, eight uh, cultural norms that may be a trauma response or signs of a mental health issue that I want you to be aware of. So if, if you see it in your personal life, 
You don't have to have a bachelor's degree in psychology. You don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to be a counselor. You can be a supportive friend, sister, brother, boyfriend, girlfriend, teammate, whatever. And you can identify these things and be the one to raise the question, hey, are you sure that's not this? Do you think we should look into that? I think you should look into that. These are the different things that you can do to encourage someone into looking into things a bit deeper and not just writing it off as, oh, that's just how he or she is. So the first, and I know this, this one may step on some toes because you're in college, but the first is overuse of alcohol and drunkenness. I know college life for many is characterized by wild party nights and let's drink, let's get messed up, let's let's enjoy this part of our lives because we won't get this experience again. And while I do understand the aspect of wanting to enjoy yourself because the college experience is special and once you hit adulthood, there, there's no going back. Uh, so I, I get that in that sense, but I do think it's important to look into this because many mental illnesses and mental health disorders uh, play themselves out due to substance abuse, whether that be alcohol or marijuana or even harder drugs. And there is a level to which we have normalized dependence upon these things. Now, social drinking is one thing. Uh, getting drunk is another. And getting drunk every weekend is another. And drinking every day is another. These are all very different things. And I think that the college culture is difficult to assess this because once again, the mindset is, well, we're just enjoying ourselves. But for many, it's not just about having fun. It's about trying to achieve a level of peace. It's about trying to achieve a level of distance from your sober reality that is hard to cope with. As someone who has partaken you know, I'm not judging. I have drunk occasionally as well, had a drink here or there. Let's be realistic, right? You don't drink for the taste per se. I'm not going into this with the intent of having something that's just delicious. For many, when you do take a drink, it's with the intent of getting drunk or for those that want to use language that's more acceptable, I just want to get a buzz. And while that may be the case, I think we should ask the question, why? Is it just enjoyment or are there some traumas or unresolved issues that we are seeking to distance ourselves from temporarily? It's much easier to put a Band-Aid on a stab wound. And by that, I mean, it's much easier to get drunk for a period of time to not have to deal with or think about the, the issue or deal with invasive thoughts. It's much easier to distance yourself from it for a bit than to resolve the issue. Once again, I'm not saying don't ever drink, but what I am saying is when we see these things, there could be more to it than just sheer enjoyment. Ask yourself this, when has a drunken night ever led to a major advancement in life. Most of the stories I can remember from college or from other people's experience are that I, I, I damaged myself or I veered off track because of a decision I made during a drunken night. Let's make it, make it more real. Many of the sexual assault 
or rape allegations on college campuses are tied to alcohol use. Making a decision while you were drunk. Uh, someone not being able to give consent. And let's consider this perspective as well. When someone is drunk, they can be a traumatic force or presence in someone else's life. So could it be that you might have been fine, but you did something that traumatized someone else that could trigger a series of mental health crises in someone else's life? So I want us to dig a little bit deeper. You're moving into adulthood as college students, but let's think about these things. Think about the consequences of our actions as far as others, but the consequences of our actions as it relates to ourselves as well. And lastly, I want you to consider once again that many mental illnesses, uh, check out the DSM, the Diagnostic uh, and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, which is what mental health professionals use to diagnose someone. And in many, in many ways, you'll see that substance abuse, whether it be alcohol or drugs, in many ways are tied to mental illnesses. They, they play themselves out in that way. So I'm saying that if you see an overuse of substances, it may be worth asking the question, is there something else going on here that may be related to mental health issues or a mental disorder? Two, I'd like to bring your attention to social, social isolation. You may have a friend or you may be the friend who just occasionally disconnects from everybody stops responding to text messages, uh, stops giving people calls back, deletes your social media accounts, and just wants to disconnect from everyone. And you may be at a point where you acknowledge that you hurt the people you're close to in these phases where you just distance yourself, but you may have a hard time explaining why. Specifically as it relates to black men, I know many of us are taught to just be loners. Outside of the female or the, the person that you're pursuing romantically, many of us are taught that we just kind of live life on our own. You have some friends that you have fun with, but you just keep all your things, all your business to yourself, and you just kind of live like a lone wolf, so to speak. And in many ways, that cultural norm has caused us to turn a blind eye to the fact that social isolation uh, disconnecting from those that you are close to in many ways can be tied to having a depressive episode or all out clinical depression, because that is oftentimes how people who don't understand their depressed experience, that's how they cope. Sometimes people that are depressed that are already on medication don't feel settled. So their best way to deal with that is to distance themselves until they feel better. So while some might just see it as that's just my personality, I'm a loner, I'm an introvert, there's a big difference between introversion and social isolation due to depression. So be willing to look into that a little bit deeper as well. It's not always as simple as it may seem. Third, decreased attention to hygiene. Now, I understand that college life is busy and you may get caught up with deadlines, large assignments due, travel due to your sport. Those things are normal. But once again, consider that in many ways, depression can also be tied to this idea or this, this reality of a decreased attention to hygiene. Depression can be so crippling that it's hard to get up out of bed. And I'll get to oversleeping and undersleeping later, but for many, 
it can be so crippling that you don't even have the energy or the stability to get out of bed and take a bath or get in the shower. So you just kind of lay there or you isolate yourself for a number of days. I've seen the extreme of this turn into uh, in men being so low, uh, being so down that they don't even have the energy to go use the restroom. So they end up urinating in containers and maybe a water bottle and then closing it and just keeping those bottles nearby the bed because they don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to have to interact or come across some, somebody. For, for those of you that may live with someone that may have dealt with depression, you may notice they may lock themselves in the room uh, and may do that, what I mentioned as well, because they don't want to come across paths with someone else and have to communicate about what they're going through. So be willing to look into that a little bit more. It may not always be as simple as, oh, such and such is busy, haven't had time to shower. That could be the case, but there also could be a situation where that person doesn't have the energy to do basic things. The depression may be setting in in a major way, and you can be of support to them if you're willing to pay now to play later. And by that, I mean in your relationships, be willing to ask hard questions, to show that you care. And while it may step on some toes, I believe in the long run, people will appreciate you you looking at them from an eye of care. Uh, fourth is oversleeping. Another coping mechanism that a lot of people employ as it relates to depression is oversleeping. Uh, don't want to get out of bed. And in addition to not bathing, some will just sleep and sleep and sleep. And sometimes they'll sleep to the point where their body's sore because they've been laying down so long in the room with the lights off, not bathing and, and just trying to sleep it all away. And just as I mentioned before, uh, drunkenness may be an escape for some. Sleep is an escape for others. So some may resort to substances. Others may resort to, if I could just sleep my way through this. It's an escape from your racing thoughts. For some, the racing thoughts can be crippling. The, the, the racing thoughts can be depressing. And I just want to get away from all these thoughts that are in my head that have me so overwhelmed. And uh, the resort that many people uh, institute is, I'm just going to sleep my way through this. Yeah, some people are sleepy people. And some people are tired and they need to get more sleep. But others are using it as an escape. Be that friend to follow up. And I have limited time today, and I'm not able to give you all the tools and steps on how to approach these things. Of course, you need to approach it with tact and care and patience. But I do think it's worth taking that step rather than just writing it off as, oh, that's nothing. The old saying goes, better safe than sorry. Next is a decreased need for sleep. This decreased need for sleep is in many cases tied to bipolar disorder, which is characterized by two uh, phases that implement themselves a variety of ways of, of cycling. One is the depressed side of things, and the other is the manic side of things. And some have described uh, manic episodes. Uh, as I mentioned before, the DSM would, would point to this idea of being manic 
a symptom of that or a sign of that having a manic episode is the decreased need for sleep because you have this jolt of energy that has you sometimes wired. Uh, so some people get to a point where they're functioning off of just two hours and they just keep on going and keep on going and they're so wired and focused on a particular project or a specific assignment or an, 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 uh, an over-the-top idea or dream that they're trying to put together in a very quick period of time. I've interviewed someone recently who dealt with bipolar disorder and he described his manic phase this way. He said, I, I get so energetic to the point where I become obsessed. At one point, I wrote a book in three days. I think the book was over 200 pages. He just wrote a book because he was laser focused on a, a, an idea. And that's a part of his bipolar disorder. He, he didn't sleep. He didn't bathe. And he just wrote that book out. Uh, so it's important for us to understand the nuances of these things. Things aren't as simple as they appear. And that decreased need of sleep can play itself out a, a variety of ways. So, yes, someone may be a high production value person, but they also may be dealing with bipolar disorder. They also may be uh, obsessed with something to the point where it's hindering other aspects of their life. Uh, a certain amount of hours, I'm not going to get into that argument of how many hours, but I know it's like six or more, uh, is just maintenance as far as your health we need to get sleep so that that's something to consider six um uh, once again this is something i've i deal with with many of my friends is uh black men that say i'm good you know i know a viral post that says black men will i'm good themselves into depression and many of us are trained to just say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, even when things are absolutely terrible. Even when you feel like you're walking through hell, you still say, I'm good. Because you're not supposed to expose that you're not good. We believe it's not okay to not be okay. So we have to just always make it seem like everything's okay. But that only works until it doesn't. So it's super important for us to recognize that I'm good could mean I'm good, but it could also mean that things are going terrible and I don't feel comfortable talking about it or I'm not ready to talk about it. But also you following up after that I'm good with a, are you sure? Or what about this could be a difference maker. People knowing that you're interested enough to, to see if something is off with them could be the door open for them to express it or, or let it out. Uh, I recently was viewing a documentary about a, a father uh, telling his story about his son who committed suicide. And he said that as a father, he went through multiple bankruptcies that his wife and children never knew about. He was struggling financially, but he kept everything going and they never knew. And he recovered. And his motto was, I'm going to deal with this like a man. So he never let his family see him sweat. And they, in the documentary, they showed some footage of the son quoting the father's statement, I'm going to deal with this like a man. And as this father is hosting a seminar to other fathers to help them be cognizant of mental health issues and depression, he's kind of breaking down crying because he realized that he may have set that tone for his son to pretend as if everything was okay for so long to the point where he was overwhelmed by his depression and committed suicide.
He said that I may have been the one that normalized within my son this idea of saying, I'm going to deal with this like a man. But I would challenge us to understand masculinity or manhood in a different way. Uh, manhood or masculinity isn't pretending the issue isn't there. It isn't avoiding it, but it's dealing with it head on, no matter how hard it is. And that applies also to emotional issues. I often use the reference that in terms of how we view being a manly man, if someone was breaking into your home, we would see a man as noble if he picked up his gun and went straight to where the intruder is to protect his family. We would see that as very noble. In the same way, I think we should deal with mental health issues and emotional issues and triggers and frustrations and traumas head on. Let's not run away from them with sayings that sound good. Let's not just say I'm good or I'm going to deal with this like a man. Let's not get drunk to ignore what's really bothering us or hide to ignore what's really bothering us. And let's be men, as it were, and deal with these things head on. And I think we'll find that dealing with psychological and emotional issues within yourself and with others ends up being much harder than any physical task because these emotions that we tuck are very real and present for both men, women and men. Seven, canceling plans at the last minute. Uh, some of you know and some of you are that person who when people invite you to something, they know you're probably not going to come. Or they know you, you're going to say yes, and then at the last minute you'll say, yeah, I can't make it. And while some people just may not feel as social as often as others, and while some may consider that just introversion playing itself out, I'm not going to deny that, but we must also acknowledge that that is closely tied to anxiety, different types of anxiety. And there are a variety of approaches to dealing with anxiety and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm an advocate for, and then some have to institute medication. So I don't want to harp on that too much because I know that some people, it, you know, it might hit home for you. Uh, I've been that person at times that's like, yeah, I really don't want to do anything. And once again, this isn't to be alarmist. Not everything is a mental health issue, but in terms of our culture, we dismiss things more often than giving them a second look. So consider that friend who, who cancels plans a lot. Rather than taking it personal and saying they don't want to be friends with us or they don't want to hang out with us, consider the fact that they may be dealing with some level of anxiety. Uh, lastly is one that I know may step on some toes because I know that this is another part of college culture and in some cases black culture, uh, specifically more so for men. And it's this idea of being hypersexual. And as I say, specifically as it relates to men, the assumption is, well, men have these hormones and that's how they are. So if they have a whole bunch of sex partners, that's just the way it is, right? And while you are, once you're of age, you know, free to make those decisions that you make, I must once again point to the idea of, of reckless decision making, uh, risky behaviors, dangerous behaviors, and hypersexuality which is kind of having sex with multiple people without any regards for your health or their health. This isn't just being promiscuous. This isn't just enjoying sex. This is more so 
partaking in sex in a way that is dangerous for you or your partner or partners. Uh, this is closely tied to a variety of mental illnesses to include bipolar disorder. Uh, and I think that once again, it's easy to just dismiss these things as, well, this, this is just the way it is. This is college life. This is a guy's life or even a girl's life. But we, we must ask ourselves, is there something more going on here? Especially when you're putting yourself at risk. Uh, hypersexuality is characterized by a lack of regard for oneself. And when it shows up in bipolar disorder, it's normally tied to being manic. Uh, being so wired and focused and driven and overwhelmed with emotion to the point where you're just kind of um, impulsively making decisions and choosing sex partners without the regard for yourself or for them. And in many ways, uh, when couples talk about dealing with bipolar disorder, whether both parties are bipolar or one party is, what will come up is having an understanding about cheating. Some couples that have a bipolar partner have agreed that if the bipolar partner cheats, that they'll work through it because they understand the implications of bipolar disorder on one's decisions with sexual partners. It's that serious. So once again, I would I would add, caution you to ask some of these questions and look into things a bit deeper. So I, I hope I haven't overwhelmed you, uh, but I hope I have educated you. Uh, with some some basic realities, some common practical things that we may see as just normal that may not be as simple as we once thought. Now, when it comes to these realities, I think it's important for all of us to be the support system that we would want and need if we were going through some level of mental illness. The difficulty with mental illness is sometimes the person experiencing it can't explain it to you very clearly. And sometimes their behaviors can come off rude or short or unfriendly or unkind. And it's important for us to be well-versed so that we don't take it as personal and then respond with anger or vitriol. So I want to challenge you to be patient with people, especially if they are exhibiting any of the symptoms that I mentioned. Be patient. Don't take things personal. Uh, be willing to invest in friendships, uh, romantic or not where someone may have behaviors that are a cause for concern because so often what happens is the party that is not exhibiting the problematic behavior gets offended and then cuts that person off. So then these people that are knowingly or unknowingly struggling with mental illness are dealing with loneliness because their behaviors are damaging their relationships. But what a difference it would make if someone was willing to work through the difficulties and challenge them to see a mental health professional, potentially get diagnosed, and then there could be a team of support that could include medication and therapy to help them navigate through those things. So that investment will be super helpful. Lastly, I'll share with you a story. Uh, I, before doing my work with the Whole Brother Mission, uh, I worked in university life, actually at a university in Oklahoma. And as a dean, I dealt with discipline, and I remember there was a student that had broken some rules, so he wound up in my office. And we began to work through why he did what he did that got him in trouble. And as we worked through it, 
there were several stories that came out about traumatic experiences at home. And one thing that really stuck with me was that he was requested to go to our, uh, required to go to our counseling center. And through several visits there, the professionals were able to determine that he was dealing with a high level of clinical depression. And that included suicidal thoughts that he did share with me in our in our meetings. And he told me that he had a he played sports. So he was in a, a room, a dorm room with his teammate. And he said that he mentioned to his teammate, he texted him that he was dealing with suicidal thoughts. Uh, that teammate at the time was out with his girlfriend. So he just texted him back. We'll talk about it when I get to the room. And I hope that you all know that that is not the proper response to uh, someone expressing suicidal thoughts or creating a plan. Uh, I, I would hope that at USAO, it is well documented the proper response to those kinds of things, calling a professional, directing people to the correct hotlines and investing. Uh, please don't give someone the cold shoulder if they express to you that they are experiencing those kinds of of thoughts of, of ideation of hurting themselves, please be willing to drop what you're doing to be there for them in that way. Uh, and at the very least connect them with resources that would be able to help them. As I mentioned, the necessary suicide hotline or an organization similar to the whole brother mission. Uh, what we do is we connect black men with mental health professionals nationwide. So that means whatever state you're in, uh, you can reach out to us at our website, whole, W-H-O-L-E, brothermission.com, and get connected with a the therapist. And if there are is a financial barrier that's keeping you from seeing someone, we can help with that for those that are unemployed and uninsured. And our, our therapists are culturally competent, so it's super important in getting therapy uh, or any type of mental health services to not feel the need to over-explain yourself to someone who doesn't understand you. So that's why we're all for... Uh, culturally competent black clinicians that understand the black experience and can support you in your endeavors because our experience in the United States of America is very unique. So I encourage you check us out whole brother mission on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website as well. Uh, and consider hoodies for wholeness uh, on our website. You can check our shop where you can purchase one of our, our hoodies, that will cover the cost of one therapy session for a black man in need. Once again, we serve the entire entire country. So we're trying to normalize this conversation uh, around mental health issues. And for those who may be interested in learning more about what I discussed today and lean into this a bit deeper, I encourage you to check out our first resource. It's called Whole Brother, Debunking the Myths That Break the Black Family. It talks about these misguided notions about masculinity that may keep black men from following through on getting help. Additionally, it is a conversation starter about mental health issues within the black family generally. And I encourage women and men to lean into this conversation. It's available on our website. You can get a signed copy, wholebrothermission.com, but also available on Amazon as an ebook and an audio book as well. So I wanted to leave you with some follow up resources after this conversation. I know I may have opened up a lot of things, but I thank you for taking the time to listen to me. And I hope that this has opened up a conversation uh, in your head that will lead to a conversation in your community that may end up being the thing that saves someone's life. Thank you.